Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Big house prices in the big smoke. A new survey reveals a combined income of €127,000 is needed to purchase a new three-bed semi in Dublin. Do you think it's working that when house prices in the greater Dublin area have increased by 90,000 since Youthfolk took office three years ago? There still remains major challenges with regard to affordability. And that's why we need to continue to advance the Housing for All plan. As the Israel-Gaza conflict reaches the two-month mark, we get the very latest on the intense fighting in the region and the deteriorating humanitarian situation. Plus, we find out why Michal Martin is taking legal action against tech giant Google. The government has come under fire after a new report from the Society of Chartered Surveyors Ireland revealed prospective buyers will need to have at least a combined income of €127,000 to secure a new three-bed semi in the Greater Dublin area. Alongside Dublin, Galway and Cork are the most expensive regions in the country to purchase a home. Well, joining me to discuss this further is Fianna Foyle TD, Christopher O'Sullivan, Sinn Féin TD, Ono O'Brien. Journalist with the Irish Independent, Sinead Ryan, and Chief Economist at the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, Dr. Eddie Casey. You're all very welcome to the <coughs> programme. Let's come to you first, Sinead, because this report has really dominated the news agenda and um, took up a lot of time in the Doyle today. What are the, the real standout findings, do you think, in this report? Well, uh... I think it's just a kind of a culmination of what we've seen before. There's, like, in one sense, there's no new news. We've seen an inexorable rise in house prices and in the building costs of house prices. And I think some of the numbers in this report, although it's not to excuse them in any way, is uh, explained a lot by things like construction inflation, energy costs. So there's been an exponential rise in the cost of houses, but actually a lot of that is explained by extraneous factors. Now, that said, um, the days have been long gone where the you know, the nurse and the guard could buy a house between them anywhere they wanted. Uh, that's simply not been the case for a very long time. It's definitely not the case now. Although um, there is a particular issue inside the M50. I'm, I'm not saying it's just a Dublin-centric problem, but it is particularly acute. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, the average salary at the moment in Ireland is about 43, 44,000, okay? So that, that entitles a couple to borrow with the help to buy about 380,000. Now, they will find a house for that in 
Donegal. They will find a house for that in Leitrim. They will find a house for that for the outskirts of Port Leash or in Clonmel or in Carlow. Uh, the problem is acute in the cities. And, and, you know, that's not surprising because that's where people want to live. That's where the jobs are in the main. Um, but it is particularly bad in Dublin. The, the problem I have with it is not just those headline numbers. Um, it, it is the fact that our solutions seem to be price chasing, chucking more money at people over and over again, free money. Um, and, and the budget just gone did nothing to change that. And, and, and these that, are the schemes that are in place yeah, to try and like bridge what is clearly a very clear affordability yeah. so, gap here in the country. So we went through uh, years, 15 years now uh, after the crash. And, and one of the reasons for that was we were handing out 100% mortgages. Well, there you are. We're doing it again now. 30 grand uh, in free money under the help to buy. Then you can get the shared equity, which means there's three people own your house, you know, the local authority and the bank and you. Um, and, and, you know, any builder or developer looking at that is going to say, well, like, this is Economics 101. Uh, sorry, economic, economist here, but like, you're going to say, well, I'm going to just jack up the price of the house by 30,000. I have a stream of first time buyers in, they're brand new homes, they're all qualifying for it. Why wouldn't they? So these price chasing measures, to me, uh, this is exactly the outcome. This comes under the heading of what, what did you think would happen to a, to a large extent. So Even though I think this, this report doesn't actually analyse those particular measures and doesn't hold those measures responsible for the increases that we're seeing. But we know they're inflationary. Uh, you know, I mean, economists have said, that they are, the central bank have said it, it is inflationary because how could it be any other way when you keep giving people money? We, we saw it during uh, COVID when, when people were handed out money for very good reason. They really needed it and they wanted it. Um, but it brought our, our savings level up to 150 billion euro in household savings. That's what ha That's why we have inflation. All right, so the, the figures here today in this report, we're looking at a couple, a couple in Dublin wanting to earn 127,000 between them to be able to buy this new house. For a single person, you want a pretty hefty salary in the capital, wouldn't you, Eddie? Yeah, um, and you asked, was it surprising? It, I mean, it, we shouldn't be too surprised, right, that housing prices have gone up such a, a large amount. Part of it is just inflation. So if you look at the period that the SESI looked at this over, it was three and a half years. So inflation around that period was about 18%. Uh, the increase in cost they showed was 24% for Dublin. So it's not that much more than it. But where it is a lot faster is in the areas of building costs, the direct building costs. So that's material. So these are the hard costs that they yeah. talk about. You're talking about your, your concrete, your timber, those exactly. costs. Exactly. Your structure, there. your finishings, things like that. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of... It, a lot of it reflects the massive increases we've seen internationally in prices in energy, in uh, fuel, in shipping costs, in uh, materials costs. So it's not terribly surprising to see this coming out of the data now from the SESI. Um, it, it is unfortunate, of course, that it's so expensive to buy housing, but this has been around for a while now. And, and I mean, any economist will tell you that the problem here is supply, 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 they'll always say. And it, it's true. It's, we're not building enough really to meet annual demand and it's taking a long time to get back to levels that would meet that. Okay, but in terms, I suppose, of, of the price increases that we've seen in terms of delivering houses, um, particularly here in the capital, Onabrun, uh, Pierce Doherty was saying today in the Doyle, you know, this is evidence that the government's policies in this area are failing, failing, failing. And yet we have our first two speakers saying today that actually the majority of the increases that we're seeing here in the hard costs come from factors like the war in Ukraine, like COVID, and those factors, you have to accept, were beyond the government control. 
Well, first of all, the SSI report actually looks at uh, uh, inflation since 2016. So while from 2020 to 2023, there is that 24% increase, it's about an extra €90,000 on the price of a new home. They also tell us that from 2016, a period where there wasn't uh, inflation, in fact, in some places it was a negative, uh, there was an almost comparable rise. So actually, from I think 20... it was a 12% rise, wasn't but, it, but, in that period, it's actually? A, it's €140,000 extra from 2016 to the present. One of the issues around... Uh, construction sector inflation and all in development cost inflation is, it's very difficult to know exactly what is causing the problem. But what is without doubt is if you give people, as Dara O'Brien did when he became minister, an extra 10,000 okay. euros on help to buy, and then an extra 90,000 euros on the shared equity loan, that is going to play a part alongside everything else. And that is why, for example, new house prices are uh, increasing far more significantly. But what's also really troubling about those schemes isn't just that they're helping uh, to push up house prices. Uh, but we've had now two independent reports, one from Azars for the Department of Finance and one from the uh, Parliamentary Budget Office. The Parliamentary Budget Office confirmed that 30% of the people who are getting, for example, the so-called help to buy do not need it. They have a deposit and a mortgage. But also the Mazars report tells us half of the total expenditure on that scheme went to those 30%. What does that mean? About 400 million euros of money uh, that could have been used tackle homelessness, to deliver genuine affordable homes, has gone to people who already had a deposit and a mortgage. Now, I'm not criticising those people. They availed of a government scheme. But it's a classic example of the way in which Fianna Fáil uh, deal with housing policy, just like they did during the Celtic Tiger. They throw money in the wrong place in a badly designed scheme. They push up house prices. For those people who are able to buy those homes, they're carrying greater levels of debt. But for everybody else, if you're buying that home outside of the commuter belt, you're then going to have to take on extra commutes. You're going to have to take on extra cost. This shows their plan is not working. And at the same time, the one thing the government should be doing to help people buy homes, deliver affordable homes, their targets are too low and they're not meeting their targets. This year, okay, halfway through the year, only 22 affordable homes to purchase. Last year, 300. And the two years before that, not a single one. This government is making the crisis worse. Okay, as long as they're in government, that is going to be the way it is. You have these schemes in place, and actually one of the findings in this report is that a couple, I think they took an average couple earning 95,000, that even with one of these schemes in Dublin, you still would not be in a position to buy a new three-bed semi-detached. So the schemes, no matter what way you're looking at them, are not working. First of all, Garrett, like there's no denying here from either government or opposition that these figures are eye-watering. Um, we're not living in some kind of, fa of fantasy world where we think that we expect every couple to be able to earn 127,000 uh, of combined income. We know that that's an issue. We know affordability is an, an issue. Uh, and that's why we have introduced these schemes. And you mentioned there, Kira, that uh, the, 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 these schemes weren't uh, analysed in detail. But in fact, the author of the report at several points uh, th through today when he was on media mentioned these schemes uh, and supported the schemes and said that these schemes were going a long way in terms of bridging the gap uh, from the mortgage that a, a couple or a single person is able to get from a, a lender and the actual cost of the house. So these are they schemes... bridging a gap or are they pushing up prices and creating a further gap? I, I know you can talk about anecdotal evidence about uh, pushing up prices, but there's actually no hard concrete ev evidence that that's what's happening. Uh, it, is, it is bridging a gap and, and you know, 44,000 people have availed of the Help to Buy scheme. Uh, and by the way, that's their own hard-earned tax, tax that they have paid, that they are reaping back to buy a house. Uh, and everyone, uh, and I know lots of people who have been able to avail of this scheme, are very grateful for it and they would not have been able to afford okay. their own home without those okay, schemes. Okay, but so let's these, not just these, discuss, I these... suppose, the scheme. Let's just look at the headline figure from that report, which is, if you are a couple working in Dublin, you need €127,000 
between you a combined income to allow you to buy an average three-bed semi-detached house, even with the schemes in place. That is going to be so deflating to all those people watching this evening who have dreams of home ownership. 100%, and we have to uh, be sympathetic. We have to understand that there are people out there, many uh, couples, many young people, uh, not just young people, who are trying to save and who feel, who feel like affordability is out of, of, of reach. A home, but that's, home ownership but that's is why, out of reach. That's why we, we have the, um, uh, the, help, the, the shared equity scheme as well, which helps bridge that gap. We have the help to buy scheme. We have the vacant uh, property scheme, which we have increased. And we must say this as well, housing for all is adaptable. Where we feel that a certain scheme isn't working, such as the vacant property scheme, we increase uh, the, okay. the, the levels. Okay, people, that, that's really people, important as well. People don't if, need sympathy, right? Pierce Doherty asked Dara Bryan today, in light of this information and the Residential Tenancies Board uh, uh, report last week that showed uh, new rents in the private rental sector have seen the highest annual an, annual increase since 2007. He asked Dara Bryan, "What are you going to do to tackle this?" And Dara Bryan wouldn't give any answers, right? Most of the schemes Christopher mentioned either aren't delivering. So, for example, the refurbishment grant, and there's nothing 44, wrong with it. 44,000 people no, no. have availed of, the, the, of, of help the, to buy. 7,000 people the, are registered for all, shared equity. And let me... 5,600 are going for the vacant property But scheme. they're not getting it. So you're right? saying they're not working, but they're people not, are availing no, it. And if not, it is making a difference... They're, they're absolutely not availing Owen, it. If you Owen, look I've at, seen if it look, working no, on no, the ground in my if constituency. You look at, if you look at the actual numbers of people who are drawing down either the refurbishment grant or the first home scheme, they're in the tens or in the hundreds. If you look at what the so-called help to buy is doing... Schemes are in place only is, less than a year. Yes, but they're not being drawn down. Oh, well, well, actually, the early home well, scheme, there is some positive well, data around that, isn't there, Sinead? Well, there is, uh, in one sense, because they've increased the amounts available. And the derelict home schemes, by the way, is a super scheme. All of the Cree Conha schemes are very, very useful because they're refurbishing existing buildings, the over-the-shop uh, and the derelict home. The problem with the derelict home scheme is that you can't get a mortgage. See, the, the, one of the conditions is that a mortgage is in place before you get the grant. Now, there's very few banks out there are going to lend on a project, which is a pile of bricks with an electricity supply. So there's, there is some lacking joined up thinking in the whole thing. And actually, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, um, too far over to my left, but there is an argument. That would be a bad day for you, Sinead Ryan, There is an argument for, for, for introducing, if you're going to run schemes like that, laudable as they are and actually useful as they are, well, then you need a state bank to be able to fund the money without waiting on retail banks to do it because the retail banks are between a rock and a hard place. Okay. Why would but they loan I, I, I just want to ask Eddie, though, about one of the uh, recommendations that was in this report is that they look at some of those schemes and revise them. But he did say today, with the, one of the authors of the report, I heard him on the radio, he said, we need to look at expanding the scheme because, as you can tell, you need €127,000 uh, for a couple to buy in Dublin. Do you think that has an inflationary impact? Is that going to push up prices more and more? I mean, I, I haven't looked into this in detail. Like, I, I think we need to bring the argument back a little bit and just talk about that supply issue again. Like, this is how we're going to solve the crisis, right? If there's a housing crisis, it's the shortage of them. And the reason the prices are going up to a large extent is just there's not enough to meet annual demand. You know, so we think that the estimated annual demand could be in and around 50,000 every year just to meet annual new households wanting to buy a home. Um, but for a long time, we've been building... Uh, close to 15,000, 10,000 even for a long time after the financial crisis, and only now we're getting back to about 30,000. And there's a good reason for that. You know, during the 2000s, we built an amazing amount of housing. There was one year when we reached 90,000 houses in a single year, which was just incredible. But what uh, was the size of the workforce? Exactly. In construction? So at that point in time, we had about 240,000 workers in construction. 
It fell after the financial crisis to 80,000. We lost two thirds of those workers. A lot of them left, went overseas. They didn't come back for a long time. And we're only getting back to about 170,000 now. And it takes a long time to rebuild a sector that's yeah. just been wiped out. So, so what is the capacity within the sector then, do you think, in terms of a supply, a target that we should be reaching? Because this report also identifies that the targets that have been sent in Housing for All do not reflect the size of the population anymore. The According targets are way off. 100,000 per annum, but surely there's not capacity to, to deliver We've that. never said that, I'm sorry. We need... Barely we need, we need, to no, we need, we need What would your exactly. target be? If you were in government next year, what would your target be? Absolutely. So what all of the independent experts are telling us at present is we need a, 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 approximately 50,000 new homes a year. And that would be Sinn so Féin's target. You're not, you're not going to get to 50,000 from 30,000, but you need an average of 50,000 a year over five years. And here's the issue. You see, it's not just about supply, because you're right, 2006, highest number of homes ever built in the state, 90,000. But during that year, house prices rose. It's about both increasing the supply and increasing the supply of the right kinds of houses in the right kind of places. How are you going to dramatically ramp up supply, directly delivered social, but also affordable rental and affordable purchase? So what would, and just this... to go back to that question, what would Sinn Féin's target be if you were in government next year or the year after? What would your target be? So what we... do you think there's capacity for? Well, we think you could move up to 40,000 next year, but the only way you could do that is dramatically increasing direct investment, increasing social, affordable rental and affordable purchase homes. 40,000. So 40,000, is there capacity for 40,000 houses? If I, if, if I, I would say probably close to that. Um, you're looking at about 180,000 workers we're getting towards. We should have capacity to do that, but there's other delays, you know, in the system. There's things like planning and that, and uh, yeah. regulations. But there are there are ways of addressing those. And crucially, if you take, for example, the refurbishment grant uh, and the huge difficulties people people have accessing it, only 30 million was allocated this year. We need far you're, you're greater ambition. You're overplaying, so no, no, but we need back just, okay, just, no, just let me sorry, Owen, you've had quite a bit of time. I want to let Christopher respond here. We need far on vacancy, on dereliction, and anything the government is doing, plus new building technologies. Want, okay, Christopher, do you want to ask about Owen wants to scrap. Owen wants to scrap the vacant it's property. It's not true. You've never said that. You have said that. You do not back it in. You didn't back it in your budget. That's not true. It's not. Sorry, Christopher. It's not true. Read our alternative budget. It says it clearly. We would continue the scheme, but we would run it better and with higher targets. I want to 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 pick up on a point because Owen is saying that it's difficult to access the vacant property scheme. He said he said this on, on various occasions. I don't want to send a message out there to people who are looking to avail of these schemes. And fix the scheme. Between, between the help to buy scheme and between uh, the, the first home scheme, that's um, €100,000 from the state towards a couple or an individual to buy a home, OK? That is out there and people need to know that that's out there. And they also need, need to know that vacant property scheme is not as difficult. I have seen the benefits of, of it in how my constituency. How many households have drawn it down to date? How many households have drawn it well, down Well, there's 7,000 have registered. So how many have drawn it down? I'm getting... In the region, two, two and a half thousand. I'm getting... No, but it's, 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 it's in the it's, low it's, hundreds. It's, it's, only, I'm it's people, only just... I'm getting people all over oh, the country. Oh, there was some... You have to accept there was some positive news in this report that Michael Mahon, who was the author of the report, did say today on radio, look, the trends are going in the right direction. Yeah. There have been more commencements. There have been more completions, which is actually more significant, and mortgage drawdowns. Yeah. They are up. You have to recognise that. I do, but even when you look at those things... So, for example, commencements, uh, uh, completions and planning permissions are up, but from a very, very low base. And if you look at, for example, mortgage drawdowns for first-time buyers, 70% of those are buying second-hand homes. Many of those are actually far away from where they need to live because the schemes the government has introduced are either not working or a pushing of house prices. Okay, so if, if, the only way you're going sorry, to tackle I this bring, I want to bring in Eddie here. Is, is direct delivery of large volumes of affordable homes okay. at prices people can afford and bring We're down house prices. We're delivering 400 affordable homes sorry, in my Eddie, own constituency. Sorry, gentlemen, I want to bring in Eddie homes. here. 
as inflation comes down, which is one of the points that was made in this report, particularly construction inflation that is trending in the right direction, do you have any expectation that that would bring down the cost of new houses? I mean, my own view is, no, personally, I don't see that. I think prices will probably stay high for a long time. Now, I think that rise in prices will slow, which is a good thing, and hopefully wages will catch up with it a bit. But I don't see the prices and materials or these costs coming down. All right, look, unfortunately, we have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Dr Eddie Casey for joining us. After the break, thousands of Palestinians flee to escape a tense fighting in the south of the Gaza Strip. We'll bring you the very latest. Well, it is now two months since the Israel-Gaza conflict broke out. During that time, over 17,000 Gazans have been killed, with a further 1.8 million displaced from their homes. Before I came to air this evening, I spoke with Palestinian writer and amnesty researcher Boudour Hassan, and I started by asking her if there are any safe zones left in the Gaza Strip. In Gaza, there is literally nowhere safe to go for Palestinian civilians. Many of these civilians who are now being displaced from Khan Yunis to Rafah, which has seen an unprecedented influx of displaced people and which is also under heavy bombardment, have been displaced at least three times, first from Gaza City and northern Gaza, second from the uh, central Gaza Strip, and now from Khan Yunis. Khan Yunis is now also home to the largest still operating hospital in all of the Gaza Strip, Nasser Hospital. And with the bombardment getting closer and closer to the vicinity of the hospital, there are hundreds of people receiving treatment in Khan Yunis Hospital, the Nasser Hospital, and there are thousands of displaced people in the vicinity, which threatens that the same scenario that we saw in Gaza City and northern Gaza could be repeated. So no, in Gaza, all of the Gaza Strip, there is absolutely nowhere safe to go for civilians. And you've spoken, Budur, to medics, to paramedics who are working in the Gaza Strip. What have they told you? Um, they told us about the despair that they feel because they have run out of equipment, they have run out of medicine. Many of them are forced to discharge patients before they had undertaken the proper treatment because there is no space in hospitals. Many of them have been forced to undergo amputations to people whom in other conditions they, their limbs could have been saved. But because of the level of bombardment, these medics feel absolutely powerless. One medic told me, one doctor told me that he hadn't been see, able to see his family for nearly a month in order to feed his family. A doctor who is a middle class doctor usually, but now in Gaza there is absolutely no difference. Everyone is have been deprived during this war. He has been forced to beg for flour just to feed his own family. So the despair, the powerlessness of medics who want to help, but there is a lack of capacity. The hospitals are incredibly understaffed, as I said earlier, because of all that happened, the collapse of the health sector in the Gaza Strip. The main operating hospital in Gaza is the Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunis, and it's desperately incapable of treating the influx of injured, wounded people, not to mention all the other 
patients who had chronic illnesses, cancer patients, pregnant women who are not able to receive the treatment that adequate. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Treatment because hospitals are so full of wounded people. In terms of humanitarian aid, food, water, sanitation, Boudoir, how difficult is it to get that aid into Gaza right now and to move the aid right around the Gaza Strip? Even the, the scarce aid that's entering Gaza, which is desperately insufficient to meet the enormous needs of people, especially displaced people, is not distributed across the Gaza Strip. Uh, there are conditions imposed on where this aid can enter. You asked me about sanity, and I've been interviewing women the past few days who mostly are staying in shelters, in IDP shelters, many of whom have recently been displaced for probably the third time from Khan Yunis to Rafah. And they told me that they have scoured every single supermarket across Rafah and not found a single period product, a single period pad. Some of them have had to wear diapers for children in order to, during their period. Some of them are bleeding with no way to clean themselves. There are no clean toilets. Women have to queue for an hour uh, for a toilet in a shelter. That's for 200 or 300 women. Even clinics, there are a shortage in clinics. There are no clothes, there is no clean water which also threatens to become a public health disaster in the Gaza Strip. So this is just one example of how women have been particularly bearing the brunt of ongoing and constant displacement, not to mention pregnant women. I talked with one woman in the Gaza, in Gaza City who have been forced to stay because she's heavily pregnant. She's in her eighth month and she doesn't even know where she'll be giving birth, mainly at a, probably at a school for the internally displaced, where the and very near the school, Israeli tanks are closing in. So the situation for everyone, for men, women, children, it's for everyone is desperate, but it's just an angle, a perspective of how difficult it's been particularly for women to meet their needs. And briefly, uh, Israel has said that it would sort of consider opening this Karem Shalom crossing that would allow it to inspect more humanitarian aid trucks. What difference would that make? 
At Amnesty, we're calling for opening all the crossings. We're calling for an end to the intensification. We know that Gaza has been under illegal blockade since 2007, which has been turned into an all-out siege since the 7th of October. It's urgent and important to open all crossings to allow unconditionally and the, the safe and unconditional and dignified delivery of aid to respect the dignity of the people of Gaza, the women, men, and children of Gaza. And it's not, it should not be a question of bargainings or exploitations or blackmailing. It is the right of the Palestinian people and Israel as the occupying power is obligated under international law to provide humanitarian aid to Palestinians. Okay. It's not a grace, it's Israel's obligation under, under international law. Now we have to leave it there, but Bidur Hassan, thank you for bringing us that update. Well, Israel's pain is still raw from the 1,200 people killed by Hamas on October 7th, yet the scale of their bombardment is drawing international criticism. I'm now joined down the line by Associate Professor of Politics at Dublin City University, Donika O'Bacon, to get his view on the latest developments in the Middle East. And part of that criticism has come from the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, who has invoked this clause, this Article 99 clause. Uh, tell me the significance of that first and foremost, Anika? Well, the, the clause essentially um, allows the General Secretary to address the uh, United Nations Security Council and call on them to focus on a particular matter which is jeopardizing um, global security or international security. It hasn't been invoked by uh, Antonio Guterres uh, during his uh, term as General Secretary thus far. It's, it's invoked extremely rarely. So it says a lot about the gravity with which he views the situation that he's invoking it now. I think it's also symptomatic of a certain degree of frustration that he feels that the United Nations Security Council uh, has been unable to, to make any inroads in contributing uh, to an end to the, uh, the barbaric uh, you know, loss of life uh, that's occurring daily now in, in Gaza. There were several attempts to get motions passed by the United Nations Security Council, uh, one in particular by Brazil on the 18th of October, had the support of all others, uh, either by affirmative votes or abstentions, but the United States uh, vetoed it. And is that uh, what because we're they said expecting, it didn't, uh, Donica, because we know there will be another vote tomorrow, calls for a vote by the UAE for this permanent ceasefire in Gaza. We see the UN Security Council meeting tomorrow. Do you expect you, uh, the US to veto that again? Well, it would be certainly true to form. I wouldn't like to prejudge what they'll exactly do, but they are an outlier in international opinion. I mean, there was also a motion put by Jordan to the United Nations General Assembly. Uh, 120 countries voted for. This was to calling for a ceasefire. Um, and only, only 12 countries uh, supported the US and, and Israel on this issue. So in terms of, you know, the opinion of the world, the vast majority want a ceasefire and they want it now. They wanted it before now. Um, but Israel is, is on a mission, it seems. It's, it's quite a vengeful one. It's one that involves collective punishment. The numbers are just 
outstanding. I mean, like 17,000 people killed in two months. I mean, to put that into perspective, that would be two and a half million people in America being killed during the last uh, two months. 7,000 children. Donica, that Israel will dispute those figures, but we have all seen the footage there of the devastation that has been wreaked in the area and the loss of life, I think, is very clear. In terms of the American position, do you think Joe Biden is feeling more isolated globally now because of the U.S. stance on Israel? More isolated, perhaps, but unfortunately, it's not the opinion of the world that will matter in this. And the world, of course, has, has, has you know, depending on the region, has quite a diverse range of opinions. Um, he will be listening more to his domestic audience within the United States. And traditionally, they have been quite firmly uh, in favor of Israel. And again, there's a diversity of opinion within America, but the, 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 those who have the ear of congressmen and senators uh, tend to advocate a very strong pro-Israel stance. And every year, the United States gives $4 billion uh, in military aid, and they've recently passed uh, legislation, uh, you know, giving 14 billion. So it's 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 obviously taking a stand on this issue. And as Mary Robinson said quite recently, I mean, like if if you are going to uh, contribute, uh, in, you know, military aid, in, in, you know, to a conflict situation, uh, you know, of such magnitude, you have to own the problem. You're you're not a bystander. You're you're, you're a participant in the conflict. It is now December 7th today, so two months since this most recent conflict began. What do you think is the end game at this point, Dulica? Unfortunately, Israel hasn't outlined what its end game is. I mean, at heart, this is a political problem, and it can only be solved politically. Uh, and its roots go back to 1948 and the displacement of a large amount of Palestinians and the inability of successive Israeli governments to you know, encourage a two-state solution, which is the solution favored by the vast majority of countries in the world, including the United States. Um, and, you know, what they're doing now, uh, far, far from eliminating Hamas, is, is creating problems of the future. I mean, everybody who's lost a loved one, I mean, one, one in every 150 children has died in the last two months in Gaza. How are they going to be feeling towards Israel going forward? How does this, you know, help us with conflict resolution? So, you know, by, by the, the decisions that are made in the coming days and weeks will, will be of relevance for decades to come. And unfortunately, mistakes are being made, which will, 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 will not facilitate, uh, uh, you know, uh, an outcome that, that, that will lead to happiness in the, in, the, in the Middle East. OK, very, very briefly, do you have any confidence at this point that a further ceasefire, even a temporary sense ceasefire, could be negotiated? It, it's, it's possible, of course. I mean, the Qataris have taken the lead in this respect. There is a demand among people who still have relatives that are held hostage in Gaza uh, for humanitarian pauses to facilitate their release. But this is a, this is a very far-right Israeli government. It's a very vengeful one. Uh, and it's one that has set itself a very high threshold for what it considered success. It wants to eliminate Hamas, which I don't think is militarily achievable for the reasons I've given. And it wants to make sure that, from their perspective, Gaza is never threat again. And many suspect that means uh, essentially reducing the Palestinian population in the region. All of these things, as I said, uh, don't contribute to an optimistic outlook for the near future or indeed the, the long-distant future. All right, Donica Obeyakon, thank you for speaking to us tonight on The Tonight Show. Uh, Fianna Foyle's Christopher Sullivan, Sinn Féin's Ona Bryn and the Irish Independent Sinead Ryan have stayed with me to discuss this further. We saw the comments, obviously, from Antonio Guterres. We also saw the comments this evening um, from the UN's aid chief.
um, Martin Griffith saying that we do not have a humanitarian operation in that area anymore. We cannot call it that, Sinead. That's mm. how devastating it is. It, it is. And even just seeing the pictures there again, you know, is just a reminder of how horrific it is. And certainly the uh, your, your speaker talking about women uh, and and babies, um, it, it just really is beyond our understanding, I think. I heard Kamala Harris uh, out today saying words to the effect that, you know, it, obviously Israel, uh, they're on Israel's side, Israel is entitled to defend itself, but you've defended yourself too much or words to that effect. So if America seemed to be kind of, kind of coming around in, in a turnaround this now, I think, um, we, you might see some movement, hopefully, uh, along the humanitarian side. I, I think it is just horrific that um, uh, innocent people, and we know Israel to say that Palestinian leaders, Hamas, ha, you know, are hiding in hospitals and in schools and in deliberately in places where these families are. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, what the solution is to that. But I think we have to have regard now, far more regard maybe, for those uh, innocent people who really ha have nothing, nothing to do with this at all, either way. And we've all those other aid agencies working mm. in the region saying there is no safe place left in Gaza. We did see, I mean, there has been criticism of the United States, but we did see Owner Bryn, um, Anthony Blinken in the region last week. And he said, we do not want to see a repeat of what happened north of the Gaza Strip in the south of the Gaza Strip. And yes, clearly that is happening again. Are they just being ignored? Have they lost all influence? Well, first of all, that was happening uh, before he was in, in the region and it was happening within a matter of days. I mean, the first thing is the scale of the collective punishment uh, of the Palestinian people by the state of Israel is, is almost hard to describe, 17,000 people, and that is going to rise. Um, and Israel is clearly uh, and repeatedly breaching international law. Uh, they're only able to do that because a small number of very, very powerful governments are allowing them to do it. Um, it's not about influence. There is a whole set of levers that the United States government have, that also that Britain, that France, that Germany and others could use to push this forward and they're refusing to do so. So therefore, Israel knows that it can act with impunity. I think for us in Ireland, uh, and there's a very strong cross-party consensus in terms of the need for uh, a unilateral ceasefire, but I think the Irish government now needs to follow Antonio Guterres's uh, lead in terms of trying to ratchet up the pressure through his invoking of Article 99. We need the Irish government to shift its position on a, a referral of Israel to the International Criminal Court. I know there are proceedings, but an additional referral from a number of states would increase the pressure, just like it did when the Irish government did it with Russia and Ukraine. We need the government to seriously uh, 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 return to the issue of the withdrawal of uh, diplomatic status to the Israeli ambassador until there is a ceasefire. And if this continues, and if we're now talking about maybe 20,000 deaths plus, we're going to need to talk about sanctions. Israel cannot be allowed to do this. And while it would be much better if there was unanimity among the powerful states, those of us that might have not have their power, but have an international voice, need to shout louder, put more pressure, otherwise and, more yes, civilians, and Russell, we children, have men and women will die. Seen some countries, Chile, Turkey, South Africa, they are cutting ties. They have recalled um, their ambassadors from Israel. Is there not more we could do? Um, First of all, look, I'm kind of disappointed that Owen has, has again brought it back to domestic politics because we are unified opposition 
and government in terms of uh, condemning um, the, the, the actions of Israel, condemning the bombardment, condemning the death, destruction, the thousands that are dead. We are all horrified by it. We've all called for a ceasefire. Ireland was one of the very first countries uh, to call for, for a ceasefire. Um, and clearly Israel aren't listening. And, and, and Netanyahu, you know, even with this ratcheting up from Gutierrez, uh, I doubt very much if it'll make a difference. I doubt very much if he will listen. Um, but I am a believer that diplomacy uh, is key. And we've seen how important... the point I suppose Owen was making about sanctions, for example? We, 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 if, if sanctions are to come, they have to be done unilaterally. We can't go out and own. We're part of, uh, of a European Union. But well, we um, called for we, a ceasefire before the if, European if, Union did. So we did go out on our own in that instance. It, it, it's much easier to call for a ceasefire than, than talk about introdu introducing sanctions, which I have to say, OK, expelling an Israeli ambassador and introduction of sanctions by Ireland, it may achieve news for a day, but in terms of stopping the death, stopping the, the destruction, uh, stopping the indiscriminate bombardment by Israel, I doubt very much, Owen, it would achieve anything but except for to remove diplomatic ties. And we saw how important diplomatic ties were when we talked about the release of, of, of 56 Irish citizens uh, through the Rafa crossing and obviously the release of Emily Hand. And, you know, we will have Irish aid workers going into Gaza trying to deal with this mess, which is an absolute okay. disgrace. And, I, and, and I've condemned Israel in the Dáil and I will continue to do so in and terms of the have. actions. Oh, I want to bring, but, you want to just get in there very briefly? Sure. And, and we want to have consensus with government. We don't want this to be turned into a domestic political football and that's why uh, we've worked with the government. But we're now in a situation where the number of people killed has almost doubled from when we uh, called for a ceasefire in the Oireachtas. And therefore, the government is going to have to, and we'll work with you collaboratively, has to do more. And therefore, for example, calling for sanctions, that would put pressure on other member states. All right, okay. Temporarily Michael Martin, withdrawing Michael diplomatic Martin is status. in Saudi Arabia right now discussing Temporarily this withdrawing issue. diplomatic no. status would put extra let's pressure. Let's not play politics and let's, let's be politics. combined in terms of a it's, combined voice It's about voice putting here. the maximum number of okay. pressure on, on Israel it's, it's to, to stop it. the bombardment. That's what needs to happen. All right, we're going to have to leave. There will be no ceasefire. That discussion there for now. My thanks to Owen O'Brien. My other guests are going to be staying with me because up next, we're going to be looking at the scam adverts that have caused the tarnished Michael Martin to take legal action against Google. Fáil TD, Christopher O'Sullivan and the Irish Independents, Sinead Ryan, have stayed with me to discuss the tarnished of Michael Martin's decision to take legal action against tech giant Google over scam advertisements. So, Sinead, first of all, just describe what are these advertisements? What do they look like? So, these are ads that pop up, uh, not, not necessarily on your social media sites, although they do, um, but it's where Google are paid uh, to insert them on prominent uh, websites, real websites like the Irish Independent or, you know, news websites that you might scour looking for your news. And you'll see ads popping up or being inserted or running down the side. Um, and, and some of them uh, are uh, offering products or services that it turns out are, you know, are just scams, really. Uh, and <clears throat> in this case, it was about uh, Meal Martin apparently advertising the fact that he had a new cryptocurrency investment scheme, uh, which would make you a millionaire instantly for no work. Uh, and he, he had doubled or tripled his money, right? So, so now look, 
I mean, you can kind of smile at that and think, well, anyone who falls for something like that, the, you know, tarnished of a country, country kind of saying, well, I have a crypto scam on the side and I don't need to be doing this at all, kind of deserves to lose their money. But that would be unfair because the nature of these scams is insidious. It is pervasive. Um, it does promise, especially in a cost of living crisis, it promises money for very little work. We've seen an enormous rise and people are looking for this. I was writing last week about money mules. These are kids, like some of them as young as 14, who are being co-opted through, um, you know, chats and friends and social media to uh, just utilise their bank account. They don't have to do anything. There's no victim. There's no weapon. Nobody gets robbed. They don't have to deal in drugs. They just have to make their bank account details available. Um, 10,000 is deposited in and then slightly less than that is taken out and you get to keep what's left over. Now, whatever about a 14-year-old not knowing the difference and just having their bank account details, uh, when it comes to the investment on the crypto side, um, it, it can be really dangerous. And the reason is because cryptocurrency does exist, okay? So it and, seems more legitimate, Yeah, I and suppose. people have made money out of it in the past. And there are thousands now, we know of Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that, but there are thousands of these. Uh, and so it, it is to some extent believable that you that it's a get-rich-quick scheme, you pop it in here, you put in this. The use so the Tarnisher has said that his image, he's alleging his image has been used yeah. to sold sell one of these scams. But there are other oh, kind of high-profile people There's loads of them. And who have taken action too, correct. haven't they? And that's how they get people in. I mean, it's not just the crypto thing, it's fake products. So Miriam O'Callaghan fa famously took, I think it was Facebook to court, because she was saying her image was being used um, as part of, she'd left RTE and she was selling makeup or face creams or thing like that. It was incredibly believable. Rachel Allen, uh, the chef, uh, the same thing happened. Now, of course, these people, needless to say, had nothing to do with this. Um, but there were people in their... I know people are still going up to them and saying, how are, how are the face creams going? And, did it work? and so just yeah. to describe for people, what actually is this action? What is it that Michael Martin is trying to achieve here? So what he's trying to achieve is for... So the, the ads have been taken down. Once they're notified, and, and in fairness to Google, you know, okay, there are a lot of hoops to get through and you have to kind of go through an awful lot of palaver, given that they're only up the road in the Docklands. But anyway, they took the ads down, they've taken them out. Uh, what Miola Martin now wants to know is who placed them? Who placed them? How much do they pay? And, and who are they? And Google have refused to give out that information. Uh, so they've said, we've done our bit, we've acted as a responsible agent here and we've taken them out. The but, complaint but the was fact, made, I think, by Fianna Fáil to Google and they took down the ad. Correct. That and that's fine. That's one, that's one part of it. Um, but, like, at the end of the day, somebody... Now, and it's not necessarily, necessarily a malicious actor in Ireland. I mean, I wouldn't think it's a political thing at all. It's probably the fact that this is a very, very well-known face and whoever set these ads maybe doesn't even know what a Tánaiste is. Um, it could be from some place abroad, uh, but they've seen but this person on the news, it's clickbait and, and therefore they get placed. So he quite rightly, quite rightly wants to find out who is it, who paid for it and what's, you know, how did, how did this happen? And I hope he is successful in his action. Yeah, I'm just so conscious it was Christopher, we have mm. the Tanish taking this action and then we saw some of those social media giants come up in front of an Oireachtas committee and face a barrage of criticism uh, this week over the part that they played in facilitating the riots or promoting the riots that, that happened in Dublin a couple of weeks ago. Is the government changing its position when it comes to, you know, the kind of cosy relationship that it was alleged that it had with these social media giants over the years? 
Um, no, certainly I, I think, actually I think they're taking more seriously when you see the introduction of the Online Safety Media Regulation Bill, which sets up the um, uh, Online Safety Commissioner, which is there to try and hold these tech companies to account. But I think in fairness, in Michal's uh, action, and, and I think what he's trying to achieve here is a couple of things. Obviously, find out the origin, uh, the origin of these images. But secondly, this is happening to people all the time. This is not not just, um, I suppose, well-known people, but it's happening to people all the time. And and I think what he's trying to say is that this needs to stop, and we do need to hold these uh, companies to account. And and what we saw in committee there is that. The, the, we're not scared the, to do so. But the, the, other, the tech giants and this big social media companies, they're not taking this seriously, seriously enough, the spread of harmful content, because it can get a lot more serious than just selling cryptocurrency. It can, it can be using, for example, young women's images to, to sell um, other types of things. So it's, it's just, uh, it needs to be cramped down. Cramp All right, right. look, we have to leave it there. Uh, my thanks to my guests and to you at home. That's a good night from us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.